1: Hey everybody, welcome to our second Facebook Live event. I uh, hope everybody survived masters uh, and made it intact and hopefully those who rented in their homes uh, made it intact also. Well, one thing I learned from last time was that like a good attendance at the theater, a lot of folks will straggle in about four or five minutes after we start. So. What I want to do is is just kind of have some fun here at the outset before we get into some of the questions and do a little demonstration of the power of the mind. You know, I'm always talking about how incredibly powerful our mind is, how amazing our thought processes are and what an influence it has on everything from hot flashes to, uh, virtually almost any menopausal symptom, really anything in life. I mean, as we've talked about numerous times, we're really a, a balance of mind, body, and spirit. And a big part of that is our mind and our thoughts and our brains and how powerful an influence that has. So I want to do a little demonstration about the power of the mind. So play along with me uh, on this and it'll actually work uh, If for those folks who aren't making the live presentation it'll actually work later on so feel free to participate as you see this also so just a little fun to start things out what I'd like you to do is just imagine that you've got seven let's say seven dice and you all know what dice look like they've got six sides when the, the little dots from vary from one to six so you've got seven of them. well take those imaginary dice and throw them out on the table everybody do this now So you're you're throwing them out on the table, and when you see the dice, because there's about seven of them, there's probably going to be a number that comes up on the dice more than the others. You know, it may be a two, it may be a four, it may be a six. Whatever the number is that comes up the most for you, that's your number. Just keep that in mind. Now, if you've got a phone, or maybe you can even do this on the computer, if you've got a phone or your computer, pull up your calculator. I'll give you a second to do that. Uh, If you just pull up your calculator, whether it's on your phone or on your your computer, and whatever your number was, and I don't even know what that was, whatever your number was, I want you to divide that by the number of dice you threw out. So if your number was 2, for example, just put in 2, then hit the divide, and then hit 7. Now I want to get a. Uh, you, you're probably going to get a decimal point at that point. Most likely you're going to get a pretty small number, and I want to really get a big number, so I don't want to multiply it by a million. Let's let let's do something creative. Let's multiply that by 999999, 999999. 999, 999. So hit times 999999, and you get a number that probably is pretty big would be my guess. Now again, I don't have any clue what number you chose. It could have been 1 through 6, <clears throat> random. And you divide it by 7, now you multiply it by 999. Nine, nine. If you look at that number, it, it'd be pretty amazing if I could just tell you exactly what that value was, um, but I can't do that. But what I can do is tell you that it's very likely that the number you have on your screen now has probably got a seven in it. It probably has an eight. My guess is it's got a two and probably a one. And there's probably only a couple of numbers left. If you had numbers after the decimal point, just kind of forget those. I think the last two you probably had what is a a 4 and a 5. Well, I hope right now you're totally freaked out. And if it didn't work, just ignore all that. And we'll talk about the questions. But hopefully that was kind of fun. And hopefully we've got some more folks on board now. Like I said, everybody tends to come on a little bit late. But go back and look at that. If you missed that, go back and look at the first and follow that through and see if that's kind of fun for you to see if it works out. We've got a couple of questions tonight we're going to talk about. And again, like we did before, uh, feel free to type in comments, questions, I think I can see most of those as they come come up, so feel free to type those in and if it's something we can address uh, tonight, we'll go ahead and do that so we can kind of be interactive. And any comments or questions about the stuff I'm talking about, feel free to uh, bring those up as we go through. We had a question uh, that a lot of people responded to with regards to, yeah, that's me. Uh, when it came to chronic urinary tract infections or UTIs, incredibly common in women in particular. You know, I, I probably spend uh, it, it, at least one or two hours every day dealing with something related to the urinary tract and the bladder, and most of the time it's infections. And one of the big reasons is because in women, it's incredibly common. They're very common. It's very rare that I ever run across anybody who's never experienced a urinary tract infection, especially by the time you get to midlife and beyond. Uh, so that's a, it's a very common, common problem. And it varies across the board with regards to frequency, intensity, problems associated with them. One of the big reasons is that the anatomy of the female really is set up for introducing bacteria into the bladder. Normally, the urine, if you were to culture somebody's urine, normally it's going to be sterile. The environment inside the bladder is sterile. That's the normal. But the urethra, the tube from the bladder to the outside, is only about 4 centimeters. That's only a a little less than 2 inches. So that's not a long way for bacteria to kind of get back up into the bladder and set up an infection. And that's how most infections come about is what we call it a ascending infection from contamination from the GI tract or the vaginal canal. And We'll talk a little bit about that in a second. And you all know, most of you anyway, know the symptoms associated with urinary tract infections. In fact, most people will actually call in to the the office and give symptoms and a lot of times we can treat people over the phone because they're so familiar with, with the problems that they've experienced, they're so familiar with the symptoms. Uh, in most instances they're pretty accurate so we feel fairly comfortable about treating those things over the phone. We, we sometimes get into some problems with that so uh, we have to be careful to some degree but you all know uh, largely the the symptoms that can arise and those are things like Frequency, feeling like you've got to go a gazillion times. Uh, you go and you get up and you got to go again. Miserable, miserable feeling. Uh, that sense of urgency, even after you've gone, you feel like you still have to go, and that's due to the irritation primarily in the urethra. If it was just in the bladder, it, it would probably more manifest like some people experience with pain and pressure, and and um, general discomfort in the lower part of the stomach, and the, in the lower pelvis. Once it gets in the urethra and gets irritated, that's when you get all the burning and the discomfort associated with the urinary tract infections. And that comes with uh, kind of secondary to the initial infection. Because you can get urethral irritation from a lot of things that can cause similar. For example, you can get, if you get any kind of harsh agents like a a harsh soap or something into the, into that tissue. It can cause a lot of burning and discomfort. Uh, So, not everything that causes these same kind of symptoms is a urinary tract infection. I guess that's the big point that I want to get across is in most cases, yeah, it is. And it needs to be effectively treated, Uh, but there are certain things, and I'm going to get into one of those in more detail in just a moment, that can really cause a lot of the similar symptoms we can break infections kind of down into acute infections and those are the most common that's where you're feeling fine Uh, you know you go to bed one night and get up the next morning and all of a sudden you're burning you've got the frequency urgency etc. that just happens for a number of reasons most commonly we don't know that's the most common cause is we don't know it just happens and we'll talk in, in just a second about some of the causes of recurrent frequent infections. Uh, and that's really, I think, the issue that many people have. It's not that big a deal if you have just one, you treat it, it goes away, end of story. But the real problem is when they start happening much more frequently, when they happen on a regular basis. I mean, that can really disrupt your life. That can really be a, a literal pain in the in the stomach, <laughs> the lower pelvis. Uh, so when we talk about the chronic infections, those are the ones that really, really tend to bother folks. So what are some of the common issues or problems that, that can be associated with chronic infections? Well, there was an interesting paper that came out not long ago that talked about something that we kind of knew anecdotally for many years but we didn't know the science behind it as for why some people get recurrent infections, or they'll get an infection, they'll treat it, and then three or four weeks later, they'll get another infection. Well, the key is distinguishing between a couple of things. One is sometimes you can get a particular bacteria that causes an infection, and it might be sensitive to the antibiotic that you take. However, sometimes you can have a bacteria that may be resistant to that particular antibiotic. Not every antibiotic is going to cover every organism that can potentially cause a urinary tract infection. So some people with chronic infections, it's literally due to different organisms. And that's why sometimes if a particular antibiotic doesn't work, we have to go to a secondary antibiotic. There's not one single antibiotic that's going to cover every potential cause of urinary tract infections. So that's one of the reasons it's absolutely critical that in many times you you really need a culture uh, or at least a urinalysis to make sure that's what's going on because you don't want to get in the habit of treating something that's really not, either not an infection or due to a resistant uh, bug. But this recent study showed that women who had a lot of a bacteria called Gardnerella in their vaginal canal, and many of you will recognize that's the same bacteria that can cause BV, or bacterial vaginosis, and that's simply an overgrowth. uh, The Gardnerella normally exists in most vaginal canals, and it's only if it overgrows that it sometimes creates symptoms like discharge, itching, odor. Well, we found that people who get Gardnerella into the bladder, it can actually stimulate another bacteria to overgrow and cause another infection. E. coli is the bacteria that most commonly causes urinary tract infections. And what can happen is, you can get a bacterial infection with an E. coli, you can take an antibiotic that normally kills the bacteria, but the bacteria have adapted and they can get into these little nooks and crannies in the bladder and kind of lay dormant, sometimes for weeks. And then if you get this Gardnerella bacteria from the vaginal canal into the urethra, into the bladder, it reactivates that E. coli. So it's like it wakes up these bacteria, and all of a sudden you've got this raging infection again, just when you had been treated previously and and really felt better. So that was an interesting uh, explanation for, So the the take home from that is we're going to have to start uh, potentially treating in people with recurrent infections, treating for that Gardnerella or BV in addition to an antibiotic that's going to cover the E. coli. Uh, There's a, a very, very important consideration here with regards to a condition that is not associated with an infection. It's more of an inflammation. You may have heard the term overactive bladder. You've probably seen a lot of advertisements on television and a lot of medicines that are available now for treatments of the overactive bladder because it's so common. That's always a giveaway. When you see an advertisement for a drug on a television, it's because it's become a very common thing and they, they really want to generate more revenue. So the, this overactive bladder, the, the, the way it characteristically presents is somebody's come back in time and time again with chronic, what they think are urinary tract infections. They've got all the symptoms, frequency, urgency, pain, all the things you would normally associate with a urinary tract infection, but they're urine sterile. There's no bacteria there. There's no infection cells. And what has happened is the lining of the bacteria called the, the uh, uroepithelium, It's almost like over time it gets little divots in it. And when it gets those little divots, the nerve pathways that are closer to the surface become more exposed. So anything that gets in that bladder triggers the sensitivity of those nerves, and you get all those same symptoms, frequency, urgency, burning, going often. And when that occurs, many people just assume it's an infection. Antibiotics will do absolutely nothing for this condition. It won't help it one bit. It won't do anything for this particular condition. So that's why it's so important. And I know some people kind of get frustrated with me sometimes when I, they say, oh, I know it's a urinary tract infection. I've got these symptoms. I know that's what it is. But the reality is it may not be. And if we're giving you additional antibiotics, it may be completely worthless. In fact, it might actually select out for resistant bacteria that could cause later infections. So if you call in sometimes and have symptoms that you might think are consistent with the urinary tract infection, and the mean nurse says, well, you need to bring a urine by, we've got a reason for doing that, because we want to make sure that it's not one of these inflammatory conditions that we treat in a completely different manner. There's another thing called interstitial cystitis, which is another type of inflammation of the bladder that can cause, again, very similar symptoms. And that's only diagnosed by actually seeing it with a little scope. You can look inside the bladder and see it. And again, that's treated completely different from infection or overactive bladder. That's treated in a very different fashion. So, The the take home from this is there are some things that make chronic urinary tract infections more common, like menopause, for example, because of a change in the pH, which affects the bacteria in the vaginal canal, which goes back to that idea of certain bacteria can trigger other bacteria. Absolutely intercourse is a risk factor for some people. They notice that they are more likely to get infections after intercourse. We know that that can do it. There are ways around that. There are what, besides just abstaining, which is really no fun, but there are ways that you can uh, reduce the likelihood of that happening if that's occurring. So the bottom line is if you've got chronic recurrent symptoms from bladder infections, the first step is make absolutely sure that's what's going on because it could possibly be one of these other conditions that really needs to be addressed. I hope that that kind of answered that question. I want to kind of move on to the second question. I got a question about leg cramps and I got some other folks that said boy yeah that's a real common problem for me at night especially. So I wanted to, to briefly address that also. I want to make a distinction because oftentimes when you have leg cramps or leg discomfort at night there are really two things possibly going on. And one of them is called restless leg syndrome. And that's something that many people are familiar with. They've heard the term, and they kind of know what it is. Basically, it's where you feel like your legs are still moving. They're jumping, they're active, they're they're, they're, they're uh, people talk about a crawling sensation. And it can be quite miserable. It can really disrupt your sleep and really create a major issue for you oftentimes so it's not something to be poo-pooed or or minimized Um, now it is different from leg cramps leg cramps are actually muscle contractions that create really painful uh, cramping sensations they occur a lot at night uh, and they can disrupt sleep just as much but I want to make the distinction usually with restless leg syndrome there's not a lot of cramping involved that's more kind of generalized discomfort, this crawly feeling. It's almost twinges. Uh, you feel like your legs are constantly in motion. Uh, and it's interesting, when you look at causes and treatment of each of these things, even though they're very different, uh, different entities, sometimes they're treated uh, very much the same. Uh, let's look at restless legs uh, initially for some of the causes. Um, there's some medicin- medications. That have been associated with triggering symptoms of restless legs. These are things like some antihistamines. Um, and again, this is very individualized. It, it may not be specific to you, but it is individualized. It, it, something to check out if you have this problem. But in, in Augusta, where it's the, the uh, hay fever sinus capital of the universe, almost everybody at some point or other is taking antihistamines. So kind of keep track to see if you notice that that has that effect for you. Some anti-nausea drugs in particular, Finergan, which is a very popular anti-nausea medicine has been known to do that. Even some of the antidepressants, some of the older antidepressants in particular, not necessarily some of the newer ones like the SSRI medicines like Prozac, Zoloft, those, but some of the older ones like the amitriptyline or Elavil and those have been associated with it. And some of the medicines called beta blockers, which are used for blood pressure problems like um, uh, there's there's a number of those that are, are used for a variety of reasons. Uh, any of those potentially can cause restless legs, so if you're suffering from that, check your medicine cabinet first and obviously talk to your, your doctor. Uh, there's some underlying medical conditions that are commonly associated with it, like uh, anemia. In fact, that's one of the most common. Problems associated with leg cramps and restless legs is a, uh, a a chronic low hemoglobin or anemia. In particular, it can be a, a deficiency of folate. So sometimes being on a good multivitamin with B complex or being sure you're taking adequate iron and making sure you're not anemic, that you're eating well, uh, can make a difference. There's certain nutritional deficiencies that have been associated with it, in particular potassium and magnesium deficiencies. People who have kidney disease who create problems with their electrolytes, sodium and potassium again in particular uh, can make a, uh, can create a problem with restless legs. Uh, so being sure you're, you're adequately uh, hydrated. We know that sometimes dehydration can cause some problems associated with, um uh, with uh, restless legs. So it's real important that you just maintain good, uh, normal, run-of-the-mill type health behaviors to try to minimize that. Uh, There's some people who do extremely well with certain types of physical therapy for this. Massage therapy has been very effective. Even things like yoga has been helpful. Anything that kind of helps stretch those muscles, taking hot or cold baths can be good, whirlpools. Uh, some people will apply hot or cold packs to the affected areas. Uh, there's even some interesting stuff done on vibration. There's a, there's a variety of machines that uh, stimulate muscle fibers through very rapid, minute vibratory signals. And now these aren't those things like you see on television where you attach these things to your abs and and they shock you and make try to give you six-pack abs, and that's not what I'm talking about. These are actually medical devices that can can work with the muscles to uh, kind of re- relax those. It, 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 it fires certain neural pathways and relaxes them. Uh, so there's a variety of treatment options that are available, and it really pays to, if you really suffer from this, to see someone who's who's trained in this. Uh, some neurologists have a very big interest in this area. Uh, a lot of family practitioners see a lot of people with this uh, because of the volume of folks they see. Uh, but there are treatments. Now There are some medications now that are available. And one in particular called, is called Requip, which is effective for restless leg syndrome. And it's, it helps to increase dopamine in the brain. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that there's some evidence that it's a problem with the actual dopamine that uh, creates these weird kind of sensations in the legs especially at night so ReQuip in particular has been uh, beneficial now like any medicine any medicine has got some side effects like sleepiness nausea lightheadedness so like any medication and you'll hear me hammer this in it's always 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 gonna be Weighing the pros versus the cons. Uh, there's other drugs like Cinnamet, which is traditionally used to treat Parkinson's disease. Uh, Neurontin has been used. Uh, some of the natural approaches, some people have used folic acid to improve the symptoms. Magnesium supplementation, uh, two to four hundred milligrams. You want to be a little careful about magnesium, you can get too much, and you can trigger side effects like diarrhea so you want to be help uh, be careful about that I mentioned b12 Uh, there's some people who will say that acupuncture is effective I researched it and couldn't really find a lot of real accurate information on acupuncture with regards to this Uh, but there's some anecdotal reports that that might be beneficial for uh, restless legs Um, a very very interesting study was done that looked at women who had varicosities, varicose veins associated with restless leg syndrome. in women who have restless leg syndrome, who actually have their varicose veins taken care of by a technique called sclerotherapy, where they just inject those veins and they they kind of close down, almost 98% of those individuals had a resolution of their uh, restless leg syndrome after getting treated for the varicosities, the varicose veins. So that's something to just keep in mind that might apply to you if you're having an issue uh, like that. Now what about the muscle cramps? Again, remember, restless legs generally don't associate with muscle cramps in particular. Everybody knows what I mean by muscle cramps. You actually literally can see and feel, definitely feel that muscle cramping up, and some women do get those at night. And there's some things that can predispose you for that, like sitting for long periods of time. People who have desk jobs traditionally have trouble with that. Overexertion of the, of the muscles. If you decide you want to go out and run a 10K uh, tomorrow and you've never run before, eh, you're probably going to have some muscle cramps in the, at night. So you've got to be smart about that. Um, standing or working on concrete floors, wearing high heels, all that puts strain on the legs. Uh, Pregnancy has been associated with muscle cramps at night. I get a lot of pregnant women in the office who will complain of muscle cramps. Uh, Alcohol abuse, dehydration, Parkinson's, certain uh, myopathies, neuromuscular diseases, even problems with with feet arches, flat feet, uh, some things like diabetes, hypothyroidism. You know, what's the bottom line for muscle cramps? make sure that there's not any underlying condition that's triggering those medications other medicines get a good checkup talk to your doctor about it they can't do anything about it unless you bring it up and talk to them about it uh, what's helpful obviously correct the underlying problem if there's an issue with uh, with diabetes make sure it's under control hypothyroidism make sure you're taking your synthroid medicine uh, certainly you want to make sure you're staying well hydrated massage Uh, using compression hose or compression socks has been helpful for some people. Uh, Correct the underlying problem and then use some of these common techniques. We've even seen some people use certain vitamin supplements, in particular I mentioned the folic acid. B-complex is very important with this. Magnesium supplements are extremely beneficial for some people who have muscle cramps. Again, uh, that uh, two to four hundred milligrams a day can be beneficial. Uh, there are other medicines, quinine, many people uh, who, who have been around a while know about quinine and know that uh, that can be a problem for some folks uh, to help, with, that can relieve a problem for some folks, but quinine, eh, it's got a bunch of side effects, so you've got to be very careful about how you utilize that uh, and make sure you don't have any cardiac issues that could be altered by using the quinine. Uh, so it's really not recommended too much for a, uh, for a treatment. Well, that's all I have at this point. I wanted to go about 30 minutes tonight, and we've, we've looked like we've hit about uh, 28 so far. Uh, I see, uh, uh, thanks for those folks who are currently on, Natasha and Sue and Nancy and the several others. We appreciate you being with us tonight. Uh, hopefully I've got some good information out to you, hopefully that was answering some questions. Here's what I'd like to really make this, uh, make this a, a forum for is one, as I see questions pop up on the WOW website, or the WOW Facebook page, uh, I'm gonna be tallying those and, and putting those all together and really trying to do these sessions so we can answer those questions specifically, um, so I'm gonna be monitoring those discussions. I encourage you to ask questions, to start discussion threads on the uh, Facebook page. I'm going to be posting a lot of content. I just put a uh, article just recently on the perimenopause and symptoms. Uh, we've got some neat stuff coming up that I've got planned with regards to other Facebook lives where we're going to actually have some interviews and, and talk to some thought leaders in the area and really try to give you some practical advice on this, what can be a really, really wonderful time of your life.
0: Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, email Dr. Eker at R-E-A-K-E-R at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.